Hey, smart mamas. Welcome to the Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups podcast, a podcast about balancing mom life and work life and everything in between. Being a mama is a hard job. We are three nurse anesthetists reaching out to support and encourage other moms with hectic and chaotic lives. I want to be a nurse anesthetist. No topics are off limits. Relationships, finance, mental health, work. And we aren't sugarcoating anything. No way or way. This is real life, real moms, real advice. And we want this to be interactive. We want to hear from you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Welcome back to Scrub Caps and Sippy Cups. Everyone that's listening, we appreciate you. And we're really excited to get into another episode with you this week. You know, we love to touch on real life stories. We love to touch on real life struggles. If you don't know us or you don't already follow us, our following is a lot of obviously parents, um, working professionals who have home lives that they try to struggle with and balance with and balance through with all the things that come our way. So I'm super excited for today. We have a guest, Morgan. Is it Beard? I knew it was going to be Beard or Bird, and I was going to screw it up, so I didn't. Um, <laughs> no, so Morgan's here with us, and she has a incredible story, very, very powerful, a path that she walked through and is willing to share with us that so many of us, I think, can really, really relate to, no matter what season of life you're in. So, um, Morgan, tell us a little bit about why anybody could have heard of you, where your, you know, online or just general spaces where you fall. Yeah. So I am a creative life coach and I work with clients in person and online as well. My background is that I was actually trained as an art therapist. I got my master's in art therapy uh, in 2017. And then I burnt out at my first job working at a nursing home in New York, moved to LA, moved across the country and decided... I'm going to start over, scrap everything. And I, from there, kind of started my own life coaching business because I really wanted to help people meet some of the same challenges I had met with burnout, exhaustion, lack of motivation, depression, and all kinds of struggles with self-worth, self-doubt. And then also from the creative perspective, I was a visual artist for most of my life. I did a lot of photography um, and then moved into painting. And... Now, actually, I'm also working on music, which was my original passion way before I became a therapist or a life coach or any of that stuff. And I figured, hey, I'm coaching other people to do the things that they're most passionate about. Why shouldn't I do the thing that's kind of at the core of who I am? So I am also right now in the process of releasing my first body of work in music, which is a therapeutic pop EP called Elemental and it is all about my personal transformation as translated through pop music. That is so, so cool on so many levels. First of all, I want to kind of hear about why you landed in... First of all, you look like you're 12. So I don't really... <laughs> all of that sounds like you've a lifetime and I can't figure out where we are right now. So I'm not... <laughs> you are, I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you yeah. want to find out like how did you originally land in you know therapy and being a therapist... Mm-hmm. Um, to begin with, was it your personal life traumas? Was it just something that you felt called to, to help other people through them? And also I want to hear about, because so many people who follow us and like us, especially, you know, we're in the medical field, 
can really relate to burnout. So what led you to burnout so quickly? How did you know you were burning out? Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So first of all, I'm 31. Just to clear anything up about that, I'm almost 32. So, <laughs> But I'm a much older soul. I've always felt older than I was, older than I looked, all that stuff. And yes, people tell me all the time that I look young and I'm learning to embrace it. <laughs> yeah, I have the same problem as you, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know what? It's just fine and I can't do anything about it. So <laughs> Worse than, or better than being told you look old. Yes, indeed. Especially <laughs> as you continue to move up the human lifespan. So why therapy? My first time being a client of therapy was as a high school senior. I was really, really struggling with depression. I had had, you know, bits and pieces here and there, different episodes on and off since I was like 13 and realized in sort of the middle of high school, wow, I have no hope whatsoever about my future. I would like to just walk down the road and get hit by a car and be done with this. I don't feel like there's anything to look forward to in my life. There's nothing worthwhile for me in the future. And I begged to go to therapy uh, at that age. And my mom denied that of me. So I went around her. I went to my grandmother, her mother. And she was like, I know how you feel. I will help you. And then eventually my mom kind of caved. And that first experience of therapy was so profound for me. It was the first time anyone had really just listened to those emotions and desires that felt so dark and shameful, felt like I was carrying them by myself with no light at the end of the tunnel until someone said, this is why you're experiencing these ideas, this, this death fantasy. It, it's a, it's, you want to escape because the pressures of your life feel so intense. And that was the first like big therapeutic aha that I had ever experienced. And I think that in one way or another, that kind of burned itself into my brain because I love having them and I love giving them to other people. It's not like I knew that I wanted to be a therapist at that moment at all, but I was someone who a lot of my friends, you know, trusted, talked to, kind of sought advice from. I'm sure a lot of people who end up in these professions say that, you know, that just kind of naturally comes to you. Yeah, we're fixed. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, because we know what it feels like to be broken. So it's like we want to be able to help other people with that. Yeah. Um, and I actually, after college, I was working in independent film and supporting filmmakers and getting their projects out there and realized like, this isn't how I want to help people. I want to be, I want to use creativity and I want to help people, but I want to do it in a way that's more intimate and really like gets to the deepest rooted stuff. So that's when I kind of started thinking about therapy as a career path and specifically art therapy because I wanted to combine that other skill set I had of being a visual artist because I knew also how how critical self-expression had been in my healing process. There were so many times like, you know, as a teenager or a young adult where I was just drowning and the only thing I could do was like write some super emotional, you know, poem or what whatever it was. So that's why therapy and then in grad school, I thought, oh my God, this is the best education I've ever gotten in anything because it, it not only 
taught me how to work with other people, but it also really forces you to deep dive into all your own stuff. And that process was really intense. So I think my burnout really started in grad school. And then I went right into a job working at a large nursing home that was pretty challenging. <laughs> it was pretty toxic, pretty oppressive environment. Just the, the staff all felt like they're on the edge of burnout. The patient population was so had so much need to be seen, you know, on a therapeutic level, but also, you know, were physically and, and cognitive cognitively so low functioning or, you know, they kind of ran the gamut, but you know, a lot of them, all they could do was get wheeled up to the TV and wheeled away from the TV. And and that was just not the kind of environment where I could experience being a part of clinical transformation. I wanted to have more of an impact. And this was a population I just kept pouring myself into and pour my, pouring myself into and seeing how they were treated by other staff. And, you know, it was just a really undignified existence and made me think really... It was just a sad, I mean, the end of life, like that, the way that we handle death too in this country is just really sad and, and yeah. shocking. It's like, we don't want to look at it. We don't want to acknowledge it at all. So pew, five months later, I'm just, I'm crying to my mom every day on the phone and we did not have a great relationship. So it was like, that's, <laughs> that's how I knew it was pretty dire. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. For um, sure. So that was my very quick burnout and the 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 ways that I knew that you know like I said I'm I'm my emotions are just pouring out of me and it got to the point where I couldn't I could barely get through my day and I remember one moment that I had where it was really like extremely clarifying for me I've always been really close to my grandmother as I mentioned she was something like one of the first people I could really trust with talking about my depression and and having that acknowledged and so she was like a close friend of mine for most of my life. And then after working with that job, I went to visit her and I just felt like, oh my God, this is exactly what I do for work. I just felt felt like I'm entertaining and taking care of this person who is at the end of their life. And it just, I felt so overwhelmed in my sadness that all I could do with her was just sob. And I was like, this isn't working. I don't want to see her through this lens. I have to make a change. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, you know, what this brought up to me real kind of, you know, in the current events that that I just saw was, um, and I feel awful because I don't remember the girl's name, but the uh, college athlete that just um, out of, did you see that? That was actually in California. Um, okay. I think she plays for Stanford. I want to mm. say she plays soccer for Stanford and she was like a standout athlete and um, completely unexpectedly, I guess, committed suicide and was just the pressures. And I think when you were talking about your story, it just seems so commonplace almost now where these kids, yeah. you know, they almost lack a childhood and they lack their formative years and everything is just so much pressure to succeed and excel and be the best in school and the best in sports and your future. And it's so exhausting to think about as an adult because like we carry pressure daily and I can't even, I don't remember myself going through that very much. I mean, you know, I always wanted to succeed. My parents expected a lot of me, but I was never held to the standard of being like a A plus athlete and an A plus student and an A plus this and an A plus. It's just a lot, I feel like at that age. So I think that it's really important that parents who may or may not be listening really like give their kids permission to just like be kids 
and be teenagers. And like, you're you're not going to have it all figured out. You're not going to get it right the first time, every time. And it's bad enough when we put pressure on them, but then they put their their own pressure on themselves. So I see how it gets to be too much. I feel awful. That family seemed very rocked, like totally didn't see it coming. You know, star athlete, star student, living away at college, always smiling. She was always so happy. Like the same story you always hear. Hit it really well. Yeah. Same thing with um, you know, the the beautiful girl who was um in pageants in New York City. Um, same thing. Um, recent, and no one saw that one coming either. I don't think a lot of yeah quiet fighting going on. Yeah. So, um, I, you know what? What can you share with us on the topic of if you're someone who's fighting that constant feeling of like it's never going to end, it's never going to get better, I'm never going to be good enough. Um, I'm unworthy, you know, how, how, how can we stop playing that script in our head, you know, at least on our own as best as we can before we can access therapy or whatever else we choose? Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to say is just how hard it is, like you said, that quiet fighting. And when you're stuck in that loop, you just have that feeling that it's never going to end. And that feeling is so real and it just, it makes the option of disappearing and not having to struggle with that pain seem so much, you know, seem the only way, you know? And that's like ultimately why you make that decision if you decide to take your life. It's like you've you've evaluated what's out there for me. Oh, nothing? Oh, a lifetime of suffering? Nah, I'm good. And I really just want to validate that that's a really hard place to be. I don't think there are enough spaces where people feel comfortable just owning up to that because it feels so shameful. It feels like it's our fault that we're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But but really that way of thinking is the result of a lot of patterning usually in you know early childhood and it's it's the way that our caregivers kind of meet our negative emotions and we learn that those negative emotions are unacceptable and then like you said we internalize it then they become unacceptable to us and we see ourselves as one and the same with the problem so let's end the problem and I don't matter anyway, so what's the difference? So the more that you can seed some doubt in that being the whole truth or that being how it's always going to be, the more you can kind of see yourself as outside of, existing to some extent outside of that pain. But sometimes I went through years or months or weeks or days, you know, various lengths of chunks of time where I saw no hope. I saw no light at the end of the tunnel. And so I really empathize and have had the feeling myself of what's the point? Because you just wake up every day and it feels the same. And I I didn't have, when I was in those moments, I didn't have the capacity to see beyond that because the pain is so intense. You know, it's like if you get your legs shot off, it's it's a little hard to distract yourself from, from you know, this, this pain that's just like, well, <laughs> here it is. I have this huge injury, just keeps hurting. What yeah. am I going to do? But I would say the more that you can at least try to foster a climate 
within yourself of accepting those negative emotions and learning learning to find they suck, but they're tolerable and finding things that really, really basic things that you can use to comfort yourself, depending, you know, how, how, where you are on that spectrum. The, the advice kind of changes, you know, where you are on that spectrum. If you're like, I can't see past tonight, I'm going to give you way different, way different advice than if it's like, you know, I, I feel sad from time to time. If you're in that really, really critical, acute place, it's like, get yourself the most basic physical comforts, drink some water, get under a blanket, watch a movie, feed yourself something, you know, maybe maybe it's just sleep it off a little bit. Just sort of getting yourself to the next moment and stepping in as as a compassionate but firm kind of parent to yourself of like, you know what? This is what you need right now. Let's you kind of treat yourself as like a a baby or a small child. Yeah. Like give yourself that allowance. Give yourself that permission to do the most basic stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's funny because I always think about like, why did we end up here as a culture or as people? And I feel like a lot of times we spend kind of living like, well, when I accomplish this, I'll be happy. Well, when Mm. I get a bigger house, I'll be happy. Well, when I hit my next promotion, I'll be happy. When, when I get my next car, when I, you know, get married, when I have kids, when this, when this, when this. And I feel like we are just never taught, you know, we're always taught that like, this picture of college and your degree and yada, yada, yada is like happiness and like success. And no one ever teaches us that it's not this end point that's the happiness and the success. It's like going through the path to get there. And because of that, we never learn to actually enjoy where we're at because we're always onto that. And like, even when you reach those things, it's like, you can't be happy because that's no longer your end point. Because like, Okay. So you reach it at 35. Like, what are you going to die now? No. So like your next goals, you know, are 10 years ahead. No, you just never like stop to enjoy. And have you ever read the book, um, the gap and the gain? No. Oh my God. It's so good. It's this book I'm reading right now. And it talks about how like the there's, you either live in the gap where you are never happy because you're always looking for that next thing that like will make you happy when you get there. Or you live in the gain where you compare yourself to where you were yesterday. And you're like, you know, maybe Mm. I'm not, you know, a physician yet, but like today I mastered this and yesterday I sucked at it. So like those people in life in general are happier because they're able to appreciate like their step from point A to point B more than they are their step A to point Z. And it's such a good book. It's so, it really opened my eyes up to like, holy cow, you have to stop living in this you know, and that's kind of where I feel like a lot of people, which I know you can really talk to, end up in this imposter syndrome area where I'm not good enough. Or I'm never, who am I to think I could do this? Or like, I'm not big enough or I'm not strong enough or I'm not, you know, fast enough or smart enough or whatever enough. And it really talks about how if that's where you're living, you never will be enough for yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you can't appreciate where you are or where you came from or like that you yeah. didn't know how to walk one day you yeah. followed and then yeah. now you're running at like Olympic speed, but you're still not happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, one of the things that, you know, you kind of mentioned like, why, why are we here? Like, how did we get here culturally and societally? One of the most detrimental epidemics going on that doesn't really get discussed, but I think is like such a key uh, thing underlying 
all of this stuff is how isolated we are, how individualistic our culture is, and how much we're made to feel like it's our responsibility to like get out there and do it all ourselves and make it all happen and look like we have it all together and going on and da 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 da. And that's what like allows us to keep comparing ourselves to false notions of how we should be. Like, everybody's dealing with this. Everybody's lonely sometimes. Everybody feels like a fake. Um, Like I'm in this emotional support group uh, that's a group of friends and we just talk really deeply and honestly about our emotions. Not the story of it, not, not who we think we should be or whatever, but just I feel sadness right now because blah, 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 blah. This made me feel angry. And having other people just sharing those emotions with you, see you having them, and then also hearing where they are and all these different shades of the human experience and all the emotions that come into play naturally because this is our existence. Like, they get brought out into the light. And at the end of those meetings, everyone feels so much less alone, not only because they've unburdened themselves from carrying around this, like, isolated individual backpack of what it means to be them, but also they see everyone else's backpacks and the things that they're carrying. And it's such a good reminder of like, this all belongs. I love that. I love, I love how you were able to take, you know, all that you experienced in your personal life and then everything that you learned in school and then, you know, turn that to not just therapy, but art therapy and, you know, all kinds of creative outlets right? Because like the whole problem is with a lot of people is they never let it out. Mm-hmm. It's all inside. So I love that you have that. So how did you, well, first of all, how did you decide LA? Are you from New York or you just ended up in New York? Um, I'm from Delaware. My dad's family's from oh. New York. So I was always going back and forth from New York and, you know, lived somewhat close. Okay. So um, you totally yeah. jumped from like East Coast to West Coast life, which is like that yes. alone in itself is a complete 180. Um, yes. <laughs> and so how did you pick LA? I guess it kind of made sense with yeah. music and stuff probably, but, um, well, you know, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I went alone. Um, retrospectively, like I, I didn't come here for music. I truly came here for the sun and the cultural difference of like in New York, I just felt like the pressure, what we were talking about, the pressure of just feeling like every single thing that's important is like what I amount to as a human being is my career and climbing, getting this job, having this accomplishment, whatever, whatever. And that's, that exists out here too, of course, but it's so extreme in New York City because it's such a high concentration of super ambitious, super capable people. And so... I had a close friend of mine who moved to Los Angeles for business school and several other friends who did the New York to LA move and just kind of talked about what life was like and the changes that they noticed. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. It kind of lit up this little part of me that I didn't understand yet. I didn't really, couldn't name necessarily, but my, you know, my ear kind of just perked up. And then I had this very serendipitous experience where I happened to tell someone that I was visiting LA and they were like, oh, we, I have this, you know, uh, potential job opening there. Let, why don't I interview you and this and that and the other. And so I started, I went back a couple more times interviewing for this job, didn't get it, but it got me to look seriously enough at LA that I was like, you know what? I'm going no matter what, forget it. I'm just going to go. 
And really the like the biggest reason I moved here was the sun. The sun, the weather. Yeah, vitamin D. Yeah, and that may seem super frivolous, but I assure you it is not. <laughs> oh, oh my God, my husband and I were just talking the other day how it's like daylight is expanding here now. Um, the sun is nice and the days are getting a little lighter and brighter and longer and nicer out and warmer. And like everybody's mood completely shifts and changes. And the desire yeah. within you to do things like comes back out. Like it was gone all winter. You're like, I don't even want to, I don't even care. Yep. And then now you're like, I want to be outside. I want to see people. I want to do the things. And it's, I'm like, this is why people literally like go sit in like tanning beds for vitamin D therapy and like pop. I'm like, I'm just going to start taking like massive doses of vitamin D. Yeah. (laughs) Strongest bones on earth. But um, (laughs) truly like it really makes a humongous difference. Um, So tell us a little bit how you ended up in music and tell us a little bit about like what you've got coming and um, what that, what it means to you. Yeah. So just to kind of connect the dots, I moved here and I spontaneously ended up working for this woman who was a business coach. And that's how I got into life coaching. I had not been exposed to the coaching industry at all, came here with no freaking clue what I was going to do once I got here. And then it was like the life I was meant to live was just out here waiting for me once I got there. Like following that first intuitive spark that I didn't fully understand got me to let go of the stuff that I, that wasn't serving me and open the door to new stuff that I had no idea was coming for me. So I started my own life coaching business after learning from this other woman um, who was a fabulous mentor. And I started coaching clients and I loved it and I still love it. It's It brings me so much joy. I, I was just uh, working with a client right before this and coming in a little late because I just I just love what I do so much. And then, you know, after doing this work with others for a couple of years and getting kind of more little intuitive nudges towards music, I decided, what am I doing? Like, I am out here making a living telling other people that they should be identifying their deepest passions, looking in those dark corners for the things that they actually really want to do but are too scared to. And I'm not doing that. Like, I now identified, oh, there's this thing that's buried in me that hasn't come out yet. And the opportunity kind of kept popping up. And eventually I kind of, you know, took the universe up on it. And yeah, the uh, doors keep opening, huh? Yeah, they do. They do. When you have the space. Yeah. When you have the space, but we, we spend so much of our lives chasing these false notions of success and busying ourselves with all this crap that doesn't matter to us. And then we don't even see the doors. We just blow uh-huh. right by them. So the more you can get quiet, the more those those whispers can kind of speak up. But yeah, so I I ended up taking an Uber driver up on his offer to come over for a songwriting session. I'd never done this before, but I like writing a song was like my life's passion that I had just buried and accepted that I was never going to touch. Went to his place and the first song that I'd ever written just pours out of me. Oh my God. Um, I couldn't explain it. This is coming from like the mom in me and also like Midwest East Coast person. Did you think they were going to like possibly murder you? <laughs> <laughs> you just like went to an Uber driver's house? Well, I had already been alone in a car with him. So <laughs> he had his chance. That was hilarious. I'm, you know, honestly, I am a really good judge of character. I have a really strong intuitive sense. And 
I, I, I do inherently trust people. I find, you know, innocent until proven guilty kind of thing. And it's always worked out for me. I've never felt unsafe. You know, I've never, I've never gotten myself into a situation where I've been like, ooh, I really shouldn't have done that. I've always trusted myself and been fine with just kind of my radar for it. That's so funny. I'm the opposite. I think everyone's a murderer. <laughs> Like you're a murderer, you're a murderer, you're a murderer. Maybe there's a part of you that wants to murder. I, you know, not maybe, 100%. I would have a list by now. But you know what's funny? It's, I can't tell if it's that or it's me watching so many murder shows um, that I, I just assume everyone on earth is a murderer. Like if they look at me wrong, I'm like, right. what do you want? You're not going to murder me. Not me. Not a chance. So awful. But I do have a question for you. Yes, um, yes. With music, like, so mm-hmm. you said your song, like, completely poured out of you, and this was your first time, and so how did you get to the point where, like, you're making an entire EP, how did you come up with the name, and is this your new life path? <laughs> so, I didn't go right from writing a song to, like, now this is everything, <laughs> um, and I'm, I still don't think that it's everything. It, so I went back, did another songwriting session, wrote another song, and realized after writing that second song, oh, there's a pattern here. So the first song, there was no, there was no overarching idea in the beginning. It was just like, let's do this. It's fun. Let's see what happens. But then what I realized is one of the songs had the, the, the primary metaphor was air. And the idea was, you're not my air anymore. I don't need you to breathe. It's it's a song about reclaiming yourself from this idea that someone else completes you. You know, the kind of classic mm-hmm. romance song trope. And then the next song was about fire. Uh, and it was about that lustful, passionate, like all-consuming feeling of being with another person. And something just clicked. And I was like, okay, these are the elements. I'm going to make a song for each of the elements. Um, and so the EP is called Elemental. It's fire, water, earth, and air. Mm-hmm. And each air was the first one I wrote. That was the one that just poured out of me. And it's my favorite song. And it's the last one on the EP. It's the conclusion of it. And the whole thing is is moving from that place of being lost in a toxic relationship to recognizing your own internal strength, allowing yourself to grieve, and then coming out the other side with a sense of personal freedom. That's amazing. And where can we hear it? So I just released the first song, Fire. That's on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, you know, all the places, YouTube as well. It's the whole thing is going to be a visual EP. So Mm -hmm. each song has its own music video and it's a continuous story. So the the artist's name that's the best way to be able to find me because it's a pretty unique spelling is M-U-U. N-I-E, Money. That is my childhood nickname before I could say Morgan. Everyone called me Money. And so I chose that as my artist name because it was about reclaiming that initial passion I had for music and kind of giving that little inner child in me the space and the permission to try it out, see where she landed. That is awesome. I can't wait to listen. I'm really excited. Um, So I'm going to kind of close this up because this is something that I'm wondering and I know probably a lot of other people are wondering. What Mm -hmm. is the difference between a therapist and a life coach? Yes. Okay. I get this. I get this question all the time. Don't worry. I've got the answer. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Memorize. No, I say it differently every time because I'm a show up as a different person every time. So there is overlap because 
both of them work very intimately with people to help them meet goals. And the the primary difference that I see is that a therapist is working with someone on more mental health-based goals and someone whose functioning level on that mental health spectrum tends to be, you know, it's a little lower, it's more a little bit more out of their control. And they need a more specific, more structured, more, you know, therapy-based approach. And that means the therapist also shows up in a particular way. You know, the therapist isn't really just a peer, just a friend. Like they're coming as a clinician with specific rules about kind of how they how they can engage. Usually they don't do very much self-disclosure, that sort of thing. And as a life coach, I I work more as myself. I use my intuition a lot more. I do reveal more of myself to my clients because it's more like, hey, I'm a person too. We've got this. And it's it's more about that sort of like other half of the spectrum of wellness and going just beyond only kind of healing and getting to a baseline of of neutral mental health status and more about how do we really fill your life with fulfillment and excitement. And there is healing, of course, involved in that because you have to kind of unhook people from the internal obstacles that they're facing. But it's much more about thriving than than surviving. That's an awesome answer. I love it. Is there anywhere you can tell our listeners to follow you or where can they find you online? Yes, definitely. So if you're interested in me as a coach, my coaching website is morganbeard, M-O-R-G-A-N-B-E-A-R-D.coach. And my music website, which has links to all the things, is iammoney.com, I A M M U U. NIE.com. And I am money is also my Instagram handle. Um, and you can also find me money on YouTube, Spotify, all things. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I want to really thank our listeners also for tuning in and listening to this. I know they're going to get a ton out of it because so many of us can find ourselves in all the different things you've described, you know, from the teenage struggles with depression to like burnout through your life and then kind of finding who you are and living out your true passion. So I thank you. And um, to our listeners, if you haven't already left us a review and a like, a subscribe, a share, we would appreciate it. We love you guys dearly. And tell us what you want to hear from next. And Morgan, I almost called you money. (laughs) Perfect. That's also good. (laughs) Make sure that in the show notes, we drop all the exciting things that you've talked about so that our viewers can um, check you out. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, you too. All right. Good night.